we are going to kick off for the next two weeks a little kind of two-parter all around the cost of living. Whoa, which is not a very exciting topic. Maybe it is. It is everywhere, isn't it? It is front and centre of everything we read about on the news. It's front and centre of our political discussions in our nation right now. It might even be front and centre in your household discussion. It might be talking about the price of food or, or mortgage rates going up or, or energy prices going up. It might be something that just round the dinner table is being talked about lots and lots and lots because we're facing an incredibly challenging moment as particularly in the Western world. It's not just unique to the Western world, but particularly in this nation, a huge challenge around the cost of living. And people have started referring to it as not a cost of living crisis, but a cost of living challenge, because it's going to be here for numbers of years. You know, we're all feeling the effects of it, whether that be mortgage rates, inflation rates, energy prices, food prices going up over and over. And so what we just want to do is we want to look at what the Bible has to say in moments like these. Because what can happen if we're not careful? There's two particular dangers that we want to address over the next couple of weeks. When we're facing challenges, when we're facing financial hardship, when we're in a moment where society is telling us there's a problem, there's a problem, there's a problem, two things can happen to us. Yes, as the people of God, but also kind of in society. The first is this. We have a tendency to look in and focus on ourselves. How, what about me? We, we, we get fixated on, on ourselves, like looking after number one. That becomes like a posture of the heart. And the second thing that can happen is that we, we end up living with a deep state of worry, anxiety, and fear. But the gospel of Jesus Christ calls us to live a different story. The gospel of Jesus calls us into a story of radical generosity that prefers the needs of others over ourselves. And the gospel of Jesus Christ calls us to a life of peace, not fear and anxiety. And so today, I want to paint a vision of a church that is radically generous, where among us there is no need. And I want to pray that if you are here this morning and you are facing these winter months with dread, if you're facing these winter months through the lens of need, my prayer is that we as a family would step up and meet those needs as a radically generous community, where as, the, as we'll see in the Bible, it says, none among them had need. And next week, Malika is going to look at the whole subject of worry and anxiety and fear. And so today I am going to focus on money and financial generosity, but the principles that we talk about today also apply to how we use our time and our gifts as well. So we can take exactly the same principles about our money and apply them to how we use our time to serve others, how we use our gifts and our talents to serve others, but the Bible is very strong on money and finances and how we use our money for the good of others. And what we are going to see today is that the gospel calls us in moments like this not to look in at number one, not to look in at ourselves, but to look around and to say, what can I do to meet the needs of others? That's what we're going to see in the passage today. So if you've got a Bible, feel free to open it to Acts chapter 4, uh, verse 32. It will come up on the screen if you don't have a Bible. And this passage, which may be familiar to you if you've been around church for a while, presents a kind of staggering view of generosity a kind of like radical view of generosity that if you allow it to get hold of your heart will reshape how you think about money, will reshape how you think about this family, but you have to allow God to do some heart surgery on you this morning as well. 
So we're in the book of Acts. Now, Acts tells the story of the birth of the church. So Jesus Christ has risen from the dead. He's ascended to be with the Father in heaven. And the church has been birthed when the Holy Spirit, the promised Holy Spirit, we know God is a, he's a Trinitarian God, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit is poured out. And thousands of people respond to the message of Jesus. By the time we get to Acts chapter 4, the church is some 5,000 plus people who have all recently just become followers of Jesus, who have all recently just become Christians. And so what's happening, thousands of people are responding to the message of Jesus, and the book of Acts tells us the story of what the early church was like. And what we get from the book of Acts is these amazing insights into what the church valued. What were its practices? What was this way of life of the early church? How had they got hold of the message of Jesus and started to apply it in a community of thousands of people? And what gets spoken about in Acts should shape the church today in 2022 in in Swindon as we're facing a cost of living challenge. What we read about in here should shape how you and I live. It's not, oh, this is a relic from from 2,000 years ago. Oh, it was nice for them. No, what is spoken about in the word of God is living and active, sharper than a double-edged sword, and it should shape our lives. And it should shape our habits and our practices and how we live out day to day and how we live out as a church community. So, Acts chapter 4 Verse 32. We're also going to read a parallel passage in Acts chapter 2. Now, the full number of those who believed were of one heart and soul, and no one, no one said that any of the things that belonged to him was his own, but they had everything in common. And with great power, the apostles were giving their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and a great grace was upon them all. There was not a needy person among them. For as many as were owners of lands or houses sold them and brought the proceeds of what was sold and laid it at the apostles' feet. The apostles were kind of like the early church leaders. And it was distributed to any as they had need. Therefore, Joseph, who was also called by the apostles Barnabas, which means the son of encouragement, a Levite, a native of Cyprus, sold a field that belonged to him and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. So Barnabas is like an example that Scripture uses of the generosity that is on display. Let's just go back to Acts chapter 2, verse 44 and 45. This should come up as well. Same description of the early church. Thank you, Robert. And all who believed, not and some who believed, all who believed. So if you're here this morning and you're a follower of Jesus, you're included in the all. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling, and they, their means, and all of them, were selling possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all, as any had need. These two passages tell us of an extraordinary thing happening in the life of the early church, of astounding generosity to one another, of radical generosity to one another. Just look at the scale of their generosity It is mind-blowing. Look at the scale of what they did. They sold their belongings. They sold their possessions. Many of those who were wealthier and therefore owned houses and land sold them, all with the single intention of giving it away to people in their community who had need. To those who had joined the church, who had also become followers of Jesus, who were in desperate and dire need. Just the scale of it is mind-blowing. You know, they they sold their houses and their land and their possessions and their belongings. 
Maybe the cloak, maybe the tunic on their back. They're like, what price can I get that? And the Bible says, um, when it talks about giving the proceeds to the apostles, what it means is all of it. That's what it's, The proceeds is kind of like the full sum of it. It's not like I sold my tunic for a tenner. Here's a pound. I'll keep the other nine. Well, when Ananias and Sapphira did that, and when they lied to the Holy Spirit, it didn't end well for them. It's not like that. It's like, no, the proceeds, the full measure of what they sold, they gave for the benefit of others in their church community. And the default preference in the early church seems to be this, that others' needs are more important than mine. That seems to be the preference that is being modeled here in the church. They sold their belonging. This is costly and sacrificial giving away that impacts their wallets, their bank balances, and affected their lifestyles. This is the kind of giving away that has a deep impact on their lives. And the call of the gospel is to a level of generosity that in a moment when society is saying, pull back, look after yourself, the gospel calls us to a a community of radical generosity that says the default preference is to meet the needs of others first and foremost. To be more concerned with my brother and sister in need than myself. That resulted in a level of generosity that is just staggering. And I don't believe you can read these passages without getting a little bit challenged in your heart. Because probably, if you're not challenged, you might not be reading it in the way that Scripture wants you to. It's deeply challenging to see what is happening in the early church and to see, why was it that they did this? Why did they sell that and that and that to give away for those amongst them who had need? Look at the scale of their generosity. Look at the breadth of the generosity amongst them as well. As I said earlier, the church numbered maybe 5,000 plus people at this point. So it's not a small community, yeah? We're kind of maybe 200 in this room, then maybe 50 kids, 250 in total. We're talking here about 5,000 plus people, it says were numbered. Does it say a few of them sold their possessions? Does it say a few of them were generous? Does it say a few of them uh, sold land? No, no, it doesn't say that at all. Listen to the text, the full number. The full number were of one heart and soul. No one, that means 0%, said their possessions belonged to them. As many as were owners of land or houses sold them. So those who had gave to those who didn't have. Those who were wealthier gave to those who were less wealthy in the community. Acts 2 says this, all had things in common and all were selling their possessions and belongings. In this community, what is happening is maybe thousands of people We're effectively saying to each other, what is mine is yours, and I'll freely share it with you. What is mine is yours, and I want to offer it to you with joy to see you raised up and elevated. What an amazing picture for each one of us to say this to one another, what's mine is yours, let me share it with you. What's mine I give to you willingly and freely and voluntarily. And I believe this is the vision of the church that is aligned to God's purpose and God's design. Not where just a handful, not where just a few, but where everyone who is able to displays a radical generosity. And those who have more, give more. That's the principle of the kingdom. You know, those who had uh, houses and land were those who perhaps had more. And their level of generosity was able to be more because God had given them more for the sake of blessing others. 
The principle of the kingdom is those who have serve those who might not have. That's what we're seeing here. Could you imagine how the story would have read if only a handful of them had got hold of this heart? What if only a few percentage of them had said, oh, we'll, we'll be generous. Don't worry. The other 97% of you, don't worry about it. The 3%, we'll, we'll, we've got this. We'll cover it. Can you imagine what would happen? Rather than saying this, there was not a needy person amongst them, maybe it would have said something like, that some of the need was met, but there was still quite a lot of need. What it takes for need to be met in a family is for everyone to play their part and everyone to get this heart. That's what it looks like. That's what it takes. It doesn't take a handful. It doesn't just take a few people in this row or a few people in this row. It takes each one of us to grab hold of a heart of God and say, what is my part to play in being radically generous in this family that there is no needy among us? That's what it looks like. It's not just related to one or few. It's the breadth of generosity right across the people of God. And it's only when everyone plays their part does need get met. That's what I believe is being modeled to us in this. Now, we know the early church radically cared for the poor in society. They radically served social need right across society. But there is something special about the family of God. There is something special about the church. What's happening here is the money is being distributed to the brothers and sisters in the family of God. God displays his wisdom to the world through the family of God. It says that in Ephesians, the manifold wisdom of God is on display through the church. And so as the church stands, stands as a beacon of light, a counterculture to society, the world looks on and goes, what is it about their message that I want to understand? The reason why their message of Christ was so explosive in the early church, I believe, was because their actions matched their message. What they did lived out what they preached. And so when they preached with power, they say, come and look at our lives. Look at how we live as a family. And they look on and go, what, there's no need among you? And there's an awe and a wonder on display in the church. God loves the family of God. And there is something unique and special about this family. And it's okay to say that this family here is special. It is significant. It's beautiful. And it's wonderful. And the wisdom of God is on display here this morning. Do you know that? The wisdom of God who made everything is on display this morning in this very house, in this very room. In ways that I don't quite understand, but somehow God's wisdom is displayed in us gathering and us serving one another and in us meeting and in us loving one another. And the question is why? Why did they do this? Why did they take such a radical view of generosity? Did they have to? No. Was it compulsory? No. Look at the story of Ananias and Sapphira. It wasn't because they didn't give all the money that was a problem. It's because they lied and they were deceitful about it. Peter says to Ananias, he says, when, it was, when the field was yours, did it not belong to you? It's yours to do what you want with it. You didn't have to sell it. It's only when you sold it and were deceitful about it that the problem comes. So it's voluntary. Why did they go to such extent to give away to those in need? Here's the reason. Because their hearts were gripped by Jesus Christ and his gospel. And they were filled with the power of the Holy Spirit. Because when you get hold of the gospel of Jesus Christ, when you get so captivated by his grace, when you see the beauty of Jesus, it gives you a totally different perspective on money. Without the gospel, your view of money will be this. My money is mine. I've earned it. I deserve it. I'll keep it. When you have the gospel... 
what you say is what's mine is yours. It's the gospel that changes your heart that allows you to give away freely. Without the gospel, give to me, come to me. In a moment of cost of living crisis, it's like, I'm going to hunker down and sort out this. When the gospel comes, it's like, how can I be a blessing to you? Tim Keller has this wonderful quote, which I think will come up on the screen. It says this, you will always give your money effortlessly to the thing that has captivated your heart. You will always give your money to the thing that has captivated your heart. So what's captivated your heart and what's captivated my heart? Let me just consider this from two angles for a moment. First, I want to ask each one of us to consider this. What is my heart towards my possessions? What's my heart towards the things that I own? Maybe it's a house or a pension pot or an income or savings or belongings or possessions. When we read verse 4, 4 verse 32, no one said that any of the things that belonged to him was his own. So people who owned said it's not mine to keep. They're not claiming it and saying, mine, mine, mine. They're saying, I want to share it generously and give away. No one claimed it as their own. Everyone understood that what they had wasn't theirs to keep because it didn't belong to them anyway. Everything I own, everything you own, whether it's a lot or a little, is a gift of God given to you to bring blessing and life to others. It's been given that you may advance the kingdom and bring blessing and life to other people. Your money, your possessions, doesn't actually belong to you. And if you, in your heart, honestly, resent giving away money or possessions or whatever, it reveals your heart. Money is a great revealer of your heart. If you resent giving away, you really, the story you're believing is in your inner person is that what you have is yours to keep. And that will hold you back from living a radically generous life. But when your heart is changed and you view your possessions as belonging to God and not yourself, you will hold it lightly. And you will find that giving away is joyful and freeing and is a privilege. So what does your giving away reveal about your heart towards your money and your possessions? Have possessions and finances gripped your heart more than the gospel? Just think about that for a moment. Have possessions captivated your heart more than the gospel? And secondly, when we talk about the things that captivate our heart, I want to talk about this family for a moment. I want to ask us to think about what is our heart towards this family. Some of you are new here and you're thinking, I don't know what I think about this family. I've only, I've only, come, I've only been here for an hour and a half. I've got no idea. Well, let me paint a vision of what a family looks like that I hope would see, go, I want, to, I want to buy into this kind of family. So if you're new, you might be slightly let off the hook. If you've been here less than a month, that's fine. If you've been here more than a month, no, you're not let off the hook. I'm just joking. I just want to invite you just for a moment, if everyone could just stand up, a bit of audience participation. And I just want to invite you just to look around the room. Just to look around the room. Just turn around, look around the room. 
around at those people around you, the people at the other side of the room, if you can see them. If you're, if you're shorter, you might want to stand on a chair, that's fine. I can, and I'm six foot four. I can see everyone. <laughs> okay. What's in your heart as you look around? As you look around this family, you can sit down now, that's fine. What's in your heart as you look around? Do you look at others with a deep love? As you look around, you go, that person, they're my brother, they're my sister. I love them. Do you want to see others in this family flourish in God? To invest yourself deeply into one another's lives, to care and meet each other's needs in all sorts of ways. Because this is the fact of life. When we love each other, we will want to meet each other's needs. When we deeply look around the room, we go, this is my family. This is my family. And I love this family, and therefore I want to do all I can to meet the needs in this family and to play my part. So when you look around, is in your heart captivated a love for the family of God? Because if we're honest with ourselves, and let's be real for a moment, so often we evaluate belonging to a church based on what's in here, self. Is this doing it for me? Is the question you might be asking. Is it meeting my need? Do I like A, B, C, or D about Gateway? Our sense of belonging into a family so often revolves around self. But friends, the way of Jesus is slightly different. Jesus did not look to his own interest, but gave himself up for us. Though he was rich, Corinthians says, yet for your sake he became poor, so that by his poverty you might become rich. And the call of the Bible is each of you to look to the other's interests more than your own. And I want to just ask you this question. Is your motivation for being in this family about meeting your own needs or about bringing blessing and life to other people? To be able to be radically generous wherever you're able to be. To be a servant and not here just to be served. Whether you've been here a few months or 25 years or somewhere in between, whether you're young, whether you're old, whether you're new to faith, or whether you've been a Christian for a long time, I want to invite you in. I want to invite you in, not to an organization, but to a family. I want to invite you in to a family, to a deep love for this community, to be captivated in your heart by the brothers and sisters around you to such an extent that you question in your mind is how can I serve and meet the needs of others in this community. In this large and diverse family, one or two people cannot meet all the need. And that's not the way God meant it to be. What he intended to be was us as a family where we meet the needs of others, where we're able to do so, and where each person plays their part that everyone is cared for. And what I'm believing in my heart and what I'm living with in this message about money is it is time to be captivated by the wonder of the local church again. It is time to be captivated in your heart by the wonder of belonging to a family. We're not a gathering, we're a family first. And I want to call you, I want to invite you, wherever you're at and your connectedness here, whether you're new and you're thinking I'm on the way in, whether you're feeling like you're in the exit lounge thinking I'm not sure if I'm going to be here next week, I want to invite you in and say I want you to just call you to discover a new deep joy of belonging to a family.
where your primary question is this, how can I meet the needs of others in this community? Imagine what that would look like if each one of us came through the door, each one of us lived our lives with this question going through our minds, who can I bless today? Who can I bring life to today? Could someone just ask the kids' workers if I can have five minutes' grace? I'll pay them later. Or actually, I won't pay them later. God can repay them in heaven, that's fine. Get the reward later. It'll be be a better reward than what I can afford. Thank you, guys. And I want to call us to rediscover the joy of community and family in this moment. The way that we will want to be radically generous, the way that we will have a desire to meet one another's needs is when we're so invested into one another that we go, what's mine is yours. Let me share it with you freely. And let me tell you this, giving away to other people is a joy and it's freeing and it's a privilege. It's not hand behind the back, oh, okay, here's a fiver, oh, whatever. No, it's joyful. It's a privilege to serve in a family. And when you get a deep love for the family of God, you will have a desire to serve and give away and bless and meet others' needs in a whole new way. So my question here is, has the family of God captivated your heart? Has the family of God captivated your heart? So just as we come to land, I just want to get really practical for us for a moment. God has a huge vision for his church. A huge vision that is super exciting. It's massive. We see here the, 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 this picture of everyone has everything in common. What a vision. But how do we take some steps toward that? Well, firstly, I just want to say as a church, we have a tool available to us to help in this moment, in this um, cost of living challenge. We have something that many of you would have heard of before called the Welfare Fund. And the Welfare Fund is a pot of money that has been set aside and dedicated to meeting financial needs in this family where there is hardship or there is suffering or there is poverty or there is difficulty. And praise God that over the past couple of years, that fund has actually been building up. And there is money sat in this fund that is available to meet the needs of people in this family. There is money available for those who are facing financial hardship and poverty over these winter months and beyond. There is finances available to bring blessing to you. That is part of how we live out the principle of Acts chapter 4. And we are ready to respond, I believe, to the needs that will arise. And so if you're here today and you're listening to this thinking, yeah, but I'm just facing incredible financial hardship. I'm facing up to poverty. My, My invitation is this, please don't struggle on alone. It's so tempting in moments of financial crisis to hide and to hide away. Please don't struggle on alone. We are here as a family to help, and we want to use this welfare fund wherever possible, wherever we can. There are some limitations about belonging to a charity that we have to honor. We want to do that to use this fund to relieve financial hardship and poverty where it emerges in this family. And so if that's you this morning, please come and speak to one of us. Please come and just come and say, look, it's it's right now, things are so hard. I'm facing real hardship, I'm facing poverty, and we want to have a conversation and say, how can we help use this pot of money? But I want to finish, really, at a personal level. And I just want to invite you, if you're comfortable, just to hold out your hands in front of you. And this is something for you to go away and reflect on and think on. And I just want you to imagine for a moment 
in your hands are the resources, the possessions, the time, the talents that you have in your life. Maybe it's a warm home to invite someone to. Maybe it's food in the cupboard. Maybe it's money you can give away. Maybe it's a spare room for someone looking for someone to live. Maybe it's spare time that you can serve someone. I just want to ask you, what's in your hands? What resources do you have in your hands? And you might have a lot in your hands, or you might have a little. But that doesn't matter. Jesus honored the widow's offering of two small copper coins. That might be equivalent to something like one or two pounds in today's money. Jesus honored that. And remember, Jesus did a lot with five loaves and two fishes. It doesn't matter if what in your hands is a lot or a little. And if you have a lot, the principle of the kingdom is here. You get the joy and privilege of giving more of it away. And as some of you look out in your hands, you might think, there really is nothing. And I want to refer you back to what I just said. Please come and speak to us. We would love to meet those needs. But there will be many of us in this family. As you look at what's in your hands, there's provision, there's resources, there's possessions. And I just want to ask you very simply to imagine these things here right now. And to simply ask God today and over this week, how can I use these resources to bring blessing and life to others in this family? How can I use the things that God has put in my hands because they belong to him? How can I use these things, whatever they are, whatever it looks like, whether it's a lot or a little, how can I use this to bring blessing and life to others? And I just want to invite you to, to, to go with that question, really. I just want to pray over us. I just want to say, what's in your hands? What's God put in your hands? Because whatever he's put in your hands, he's given to you that you can sow blessing into others. And sow life into others. And sow hope and healing and meet others' needs. And so Gateway, family, I want to pray for us today. I want to pray that in this cost of living challenge, in this incredible moment of of struggle and strife for so many, Lord, that we would use the resources that are in our hands, Lord, to step up and to meet the needs of those around us financially, Lord, with our time, with our gifts, whatever it looks like, Lord, I pray that we would be a community that offers everything that you've put in our hands back to you and say you'll use it for the building up of your kingdom, for the advance of your kingdom, and for the sake of others. Lord, I pray that would be the kind of community that we belong to. That would be the kind of family that we say we, de- we delight in taking part in. Because we're so much more than a gathering. We're a community that says what is mine is yours. And I share it with you freely and joyfully. And I pray that would be um, the thing that captivates our heart in this moment, Lord Jesus. Lord, that we would look around with one another and we would just with delight say whatever's in my hands, whatever that looks like for each one of us, Lord, we want to share it for the sake of others. Now, help us to do that, Lord. Help us to, to know how to and where to start. Help us as well, Lord, to discover the delight of this family again. 
the delight of belonging to a church community. Lord, we, we know we've lived through a rocky moment. Lord, we, know, we understand that. But Lord, we say we want to put a stake in the ground. And we say it's time to rediscover what it looks like to really deeply love one another in such a way that causes radical generosity to flow out of our hearts. And we speak that, Lord, for the glory of your name. Lord, that the world might look on and go, what is it about this family? That the message that we preach would be authenticated, Lord, by the way that we live and the way that we serve one another with joy and gladness in our hearts. Lord, help this not to be heavy. Lord, help this to be joyful because giving away is the most joyful thing. It's a complete privilege. It's a wonderfully freeing thing to do. Lord, put joy in our hearts. Lord, may we, may we give away joyfully and freely and willingly and voluntarily, Lord, with whatever it is that you've placed in our hands. Lord, the, the, the question of this story isn't really, should I sell my house or not? The question of the story is, what's in my heart? And I pray you'd cause us to do some heart work and that our hearts would be captivated by your gospel and our hearts would be captivated by your family. I ask this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen.